Let me bring you to this message, the third installment on the series that I have titled Called to be Saints. And without the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we're just hearing words even though they be the words of God. We need to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us on these subjects. There was a little, just a short statement on social media just this past week, just a couple of days ago, that I just happened once again to bump into. I wasn't looking for it. I just happened to run into it. And ever since, it's so affected me. I wanted to bring it to you because I believe it is, however terse, is a very apropos statement. Let me read it to you. This was on Twitter just a couple of days ago. And this is what this man wrote. This country is so corrupt that I'm insulted that I killed for it. Now, whatever your original thoughts are about that particular statement, I want you to realize who made it. The man who stated that this country is so corrupt that I'm insulted that I killed for it was the same man who went on search and rescue for Mark Luttrell. If you've read the book of the movie Lone Survivor, he was on that mission. He's also the same man who was on the mission to rescue Captain Richard Phillips, the merchant marine captain who was taken captive by Somali pirates. He was there for that. But he's also the man who's credited with having killed Osama bin Laden, having fired the shot that killed him. Obviously, he wasn't the only Navy SEAL there. 400 missions and served this country honorably can be brought to a statement. This country is so corrupt that I'm insulted that I killed for it. Now, others wrote into him to encourage him, and I don't know if that was just a moment or a thought passing through his head, whatever it may have been. And coming from a person that I don't know, he knows Christ, I've never seen him profess that he does. But for me, I thought it was, again, apropos. I don't think that he stayed with his original statement, because as I said, others wrote into him and told him who he was killing for. When you have that type of an insight, and I've said this to you many, many times. Again, I don't know much about his background other than the few things I've read about him. I don't know where he stands with God, in other words. I don't know where he stands with Christ. But I have told you before that many people can figure out we're in a mess in the United States and around the world. We understand. We just came through a long series of messages on what's next, Bible prophecy. But from my point of view, when you're living through it, and you're living in it, it's a little bit different than how it reads. This country is so corrupt that I'm insulted that I kill for it. I couldn't get that statement out of my mind, coming from the man who's been on these 400 missions, including the ones that I just mentioned to you. But listen to this. This was the final speech given by Benjamin Franklin at the Constitutional Convention. As the founders for days were hammering out the Constitution, arguing with each other, debating, the room was heated, but more than just temperature-wise. And oddly enough, it was Benjamin Franklin that said, you know, during the Revolution, during the war, we appealed to God. Now, he's a deist. He's, he never professed to be a Christian. And he was a close friend of George Whitfield, who was always trying to win him to Christ. But Franklin never relented. And he was good friends with Whitfield. And here's a man who initiates what we still have to this day, the chaplaincy in the Congress. And he says, we appealed to God during the revolution. I'm just paraphrasing his words to get the intent. Let's appeal to him now. So they began to pray. And as you know, obviously, finally, they hammered out the final draft of the United States Constitution. But I want you to listen to his words because I believe they are sagacious. They're very, they're very wise. 
Benjamin Franklin in his finest speech said this, Mr. President, I confess that I do not entirely approve of this Constitution at present, but, sir, I am not sure I shall ever approve it. For having lived long, I have experienced many instances of being obliged by better information or fuller consideration to change opinions even on important subjects. In these sentiments, sir, I agree to this Constitution with all its faults, if there are such. Because I think a general government necessary for us. Remember, this is 1787. I think a general government necessary for us. And there is no form of government but what may be a blessing to the people if well administered. And I believe further that this is likely to be well administered for a course of years. And can only end in despotism as other forms have done before it when the people shall become so corrupted as to need despotic government. 1787, we forward to the early part of March 2021, a decorated, twice received the Silver Star Navy SEAL says, this country is so corrupt, I'm insulted that I killed for it. I don't know that he has a knowledge of the words of Benjamin Franklin. Maybe he does. But Franklin saw this. And honestly, anybody can see it. That a government of the people, by the people, and for the people is only as good as the people. And when the people become corrupted under the sovereignty of God, there aren't any options but to give the people despotic government for the necessity of not repeating what happened in the old world when God had to destroy the entire planet. Well, the people that were on it and the living things. We are a corrupt nation. And we are a corrupted people. But what is far worse than that is that the church has also become corrupted. The gospel has become corrupted. We have seen so many things. I've mentioned to you message number one of high-profile leaders who have corrupted the gospel. These were the ones who were saying the right things, as we count them right things. By the way, um, Robert J. O'Neill, who is the Navy SEAL, credited for having killed Osama bin Laden and the other things I mentioned, has been banned from Delta Airlines. Because he took a selfie of himself on the plane with his mask off. And people said, well, why did you do that? He was going to eat some peanuts. But when they saw this, and he posted it on this page, social media, he not only banned them then, he's still banned. Meanwhile, the media and Hollywood moguls and the elite and all that can do all kinds of things. But the man who killed the number one terrorist in the world was banned for just simply taking his mask off. Well, whether that's right or wrong, someone else can judge Tacitus, the Roman historian who's credited to this day as being the best historian of the Roman Empire, Tacitus said these words, corruptissima republica plurima leges. When the republic is corrupted, you will have the most laws. And so we're always listening and reading, Congress making another law for this and another law for that and this for that and this for that. And it takes in so many, many things, including guns. And why is that? Because we are a corrupt nation. Many years ago, and I'm talking about 33 years ago, I named the radio ministry The Time for Truth. This is not a recent name. And I thought then, as a young man, that it was the time to tell the truth. And I still believe it's the time to tell the truth. And the question is, how many people, I mostly refer to the American Christian, how many people actually want to hear the truth? We are a corrupted people. And the church itself is corrupted. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit, not just in nice music and nice phrasing and what have you, but in our individual lives to change us, that we get ourselves lined up with the Word of God, 
Because so many of the evils that we are seeing, you can go back into the Old Testament, happened exactly the same way to Israel when they did the exact same things. And why is that? Because God has not changed. Sin has not changed. Satan has not changed. And man has not changed. And we can be patriotic, but we're still corrupt. And that's the problem. I've mentioned to you probably close to 30 years ago, when we were in the first building that we were in, I preached a message. Rarely remember the titles of my own messages, but I remember this one. It was called The God Problem. America's problem is not in the halls of Congress. It's not in the Senate. It's not in the White House. It's with God. We're violating God. And so we have the statement of Robert J. O'Neill, and then we have the sagacity of Benjamin Franklin, who could see these things coming, and one who says, I see it, but don't we all see it? So where is the person who, like Isaiah in the sixth chapter, is going to say, okay, Lord, you change me? Because quite frankly, a lot of people are not going to pay the price it takes to have a real reformation. And if you are the person that says, I'll pay the price, you will. You will pay the price. When it comes to the word saint, my fear in preaching these messages is that it's always conjuring up an image in your mind of some mystical individual that lives in a cabin somewhere, maybe a monastery with a few others. Everything is kind of locked away and they don't do anything much really but pray. And then you look at the prophets of the Old Testament standing before kings who they knew not only could kill them, but would kill them. As I've mentioned to you a couple of times in this message of David, imagine being Nathan. And we don't read sometimes these things. We don't think things through. Do you think it was easy for Nathan to go before David? David was a man of war. David was a man that was so much a man of war that God wouldn't let him build the temple because he said, your hands are filled with blood. Well, of course, his son Solomon wasn't too godly, but that was the reason that God gave to David. You can't build my temple. You are such a man of war. Your hands are filled with blood. And imagine being a prophet, a saint, in this case Nathan, having to be the one to go and say that you're the man. You're the reason judgment is coming on the nation. You see, our image of a saint is usually not equal to what the book says. And then when you tell a congregation or those that are watching by way of television or on the radio listening, that you were called to be a saint. Well, it's obligatory to paint the picture as clearly as possible. This is a high calling. High not in the sense of getting a lot of accolades or having people flock around you. High in the sense that you're not going to get a lot of compliments, but you pay the price. And then they have to tell everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ, you are called to be a saint. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to hear the words of God. Corruption, we heard it twice, Robert J. O'Neill and Benjamin Franklin, defined as dishonest or illegal behavior, especially by powerful people, such as government officials or police officers. I don't know that I would agree with that definition, but the first part, yes, dishonest behavior, illegal behavior. The Bible is a legal book. It prescribes for us how we are to behave. And we, who say we have the Holy Spirit, it is obligatory, again, that we give evidence. And not just in, again, some type of mental image that we have of Jesus, but in really reading what he said and did, the apostles and the prophets What were they really like? They were meek people like Moses, but they're powerful people. If a sign to go tell a king, and there's many examples of this, by the way, 
that he was going to die as Isaiah had to go tell Hezekiah. They didn't shy away, say, the way we picture saints. They were intrepid people. They were people committed to the truth. They were people committed to the love of God with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, and all the strength. In so many cases, not only in the Bible, but outside the Bible as well. When we read the history of true saints of God, which are all of you, things didn't always turn out as well as we would have them. But I may mention this. We always read about the minority that were actually killed. The great majority of God's people lived. Longer lives or shorter lives, but they lived. And I think, and I really do think this, to live a life of 30, 40, 50, 60 years as a saint of God is more difficult than being burned at the stake. I truly believe that. You say, are you kidding me? I am not kidding you. And i tell you why, because you're only burned at the stake once. They only cut your head off once, and so forth. But living your whole life, every day, as the Apostle Paul would write, who was a martyr as well. Um, I die daily. This is Christianity. This is the truth. And the fact is that you were called to be a saint, not a martyr. Which, interestingly, the Greek word for witness is marturion. Where we get our English word martyr because it has often been associated in teaching the truth throughout history, not our present time, teaching the truth and giving your life for it. But I just want to encourage you that the majority of people who live for Christ and live for the Lord and live for God didn't give their lives. And I think, I really do, that day by day grinding, that constant sense of having to do your duty and responsibility, I believe is more difficult than a one-time death. I truly do. And that's what you're called to do. Most of you here are not going to die for the faith. But you're going to live for it. And that's a task that is very high. Or calling, rather, that's very high. Peter Schweitzer wrote a book last year called Profiles in Corruption. Abuse of Power by America's Progressive Elites. He wrote these words. In contrast to classical liberals who for centuries have been concerned about the concentration of and abuse of power... Progressives have positioned themselves as more concerned with pursuing their goals than exploring the problems that come with misuse of that power. It is one of the great ironies that while modern progressives speak often about the abuse of power by others, they rarely are willing to address the blunt realities that their desire for greater power creates a new opportunity for leverage and corruption." Millennial America, big government as we know it, is already a result of early 20th century progressive reasoning that arose in response to machine politics and corruption in America's major cities and small towns. Now, that's for politics. But for those of us who have studied it, and that was on a Wednesday night, we have traced the history of the church, and we see that we have arrived at a position where the word of God is either negated, watered down, compromised, amended, ignored. And it's been a long time getting to this point. For us to turn this ship around, picture an ocean liner. Ocean liners don't do 180 degrees. They have to make a long, slow turn. And for those of us, and it's the majority, I think, who are used to just pushing a button and it's heated, pushing a button and it's cold. So much, we look at God and we say, okay, so we pray, so where's the revival? And God says, I'm giving it, little and by little. And in our impatience, living as saints day by day, day by day. We go back to God, whether we articulate it or not, and we say to God, come on, we need it now. And God says, no, you don't need it now. You want it now. 
But I'm looking to you to pursue this thing with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, and all the strength, day by day, every single day. And I think, once again, that that's more difficult than dying for the faith one time. Well, don't be mistaken, the martyrs who were truly martyred throughout history <laughs> suffered before that for years. But that one-time death, I think, is, especially with the grace of God being given for that instrument, that we don't have now because we don't need it. Living for Christ day by day according to the book which he wrote is more difficult than some type of sacrifice that takes a moment. David Horowitz, some of you are familiar with him, has a good book out called Dark Agenda. He writes these words. Now remember, David Horowitz is Jewish. In America, the war against Christians is not merely a war against an embattled religion. It is a war against an imperiled nation. A war against this nation and its founding principles. The equality of individuals and individual freedom. For these principles are indisputably Christian in origin, and he's Jewish. They are under siege because they are insurmountable obstacles to radicals, totalitarian ambition to create a new world in their image. I know this in my bones because I was born into a family of political radicals. We were a community of atheist Jews who described ourselves as progressives and identified our tribe as a persecuted people. I eventually came to understand that my parents and their friends referred to themselves as progressives to hide their true faith, which was communism. And so if we go in this direction, then Pastor Ray becomes simply a patriot. And we talk about how we got to win this nation, perhaps through force. And we'll go through, well, we had a revolution and we had an American Civil War. And we use that as a rationale. But God says, no. I have established my throne in the heavens. I have set it up. And my kingdom rules over all. And our allegiance before the flag must be to Christ first. And the flag and its country second. I have both. But this is always first. Always. And if there was no other reason, and there's many good reasons, the reason is this. Whether you're reading Horowitz or Schweitzer or anybody else, Robert J. O'Neill, whatever else he has to say on the subject, or go way back to Benjamin Franklin, it's easy to figure out if the people are corrupted, then the nation's corrupted. And if the nation is corrupted, the God who hasn't changed must then put a judgment on that nation. Otherwise, he himself would be prejudiced, which God cannot be. For God, the Bible says, is no respecter of persons. He doesn't respect me any more than he does you, or you any more than he does me. So we sang a song earlier that, again, seemed to fit very well. Lord, we need your grace and mercy. We need it like never before. We need an outpouring of commitment from people who say, I'm a Christian, like never before, not only in the nation, but in the world. We need to take God at his word, and I'm just simply being honest with you, because it is the time for truth. It's going to cost you and count the cost, but it's a worthy endeavor. As much as these Navy SEALs and other, not only just spec ops, but those who join the military and serve honorably are protecting us, they pay a price, each to their own degree. They pay a price. But where, like Peter said, where can we go? Who are we going to turn to? There's only Jesus. And you and I are called to be saints. The theme of this message In English, corruption is dishonest or illegal behavior. In Hebrew, it's decay or ruin. 
and in our Greek New Testament is to lead away a Christian church from the state of knowledge and holiness in which it ought to abide. Let me read it to you again because I think that's the most succinct definition for our purposes. What is corruption? The Greek word means to pine away or to waste. The implication is to lead away a Christian church from that state of knowledge and holiness in which it ought to abide, stay. John 15, Jesus said, abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and if you don't, the Father comes along and takes it away on an individual basis. We know in the days of Noah that the world was corrupted. Genesis 6.11 says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And then the rest of the story you know. And we had this in our series on what's next. And Jesus said, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And we have to say to ourselves as individuals, What am I going to do? In Acts chapter 2, that question was asked to a crowd of Jewish people who, after hearing them speak in tongues, was said, men and brethren, how shall we do? Which means, what are we going to do? What does this mean? Then Peter stepped forward and told them about the crucifixion, the Lord of glory, and so on. And now we have got to, as individuals, ask the question, what am I to do? And let me just say this to you, having already admitted, and you know me, I am an American. No doubt about that. I support the Bill of Rights. But it's easier to fire a gun than it is to live for Christ. It's easier to kill somebody. I didn't say easy. I said easier than to die daily to selfishness. To all the excuses that we've made throughout the years for why we can't be in church and why we can't be in the Bible study, why we can't pray. And they are the message I gave you just a few months ago. No more excuses. We've run out of time. We have people who are not necessarily identifying with Christ saying this nation is corrupted. And then the book speaks to you and to me, saying, and you're called to be a saint. Now, I've had to go through this in my own mind after all these long years. Do I want to take any more of this? Do I don't want to give any more time, attention, energy? Or do I want to compromise just a little bit? And every time I come to that place, which is almost daily, I said, no, God, no, I'm not going to ring the bell. Uh-uh. I'm not going to quit. I'm not. Because this is the time that your country needs you the most. All you that served in the military, you have my respect, you know that, and my support. But your country needs you now more than ever. And not to carry a gun. Though I said again, that could be coming. I hope it doesn't. But it'll be easier to fire a gun at people you hate. God says you're called to be a saint. As it was in the days of Noah, well, guess what? They've arrived. I leave this pulpit last Sunday telling you about Mr. Potato Head. I want you to find out that Dr. Zeus is on the list as well. And we're aggravated and we're irritated. But Benjamin Franklin was right. The people have become corrupted. The church failed America, not politicians. The church failed America. So they fill auditoriums and they fill stadiums with motivational speeches so everybody can go out and say, this is going to be the best day of my life. Meanwhile, the armies of the enemy are almost at our shores. And we're called to be saints because these are the days of Noah. The Antichrist in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, he's described in part as this. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he, the Antichrist, corrupt by flatteries. Interesting word. Come on, give yourself a hand. We hear this in churches. Give them stickers and rewards. I really don't mean to be 
too over the top here, but I'm not giving you a reward for being here. Baseball spring training just started, and some of you are watching. I'm not saying you shouldn't. And you'll watch a whole ball game, whoever your favorite team is, for three hours and 18 minutes. And I'm supposed to give you an award, a reward, because you showed up for church? As the saying goes, I don't think so. I don't think so. Tell your friends. That pastor up there is crazy. He said he won't let us go with a 15-minute message. And that's exactly right. We've got basically once a week to study 31,102 verses, and it'll never be accomplished. So we've got to squeeze it all in. Prayer and song service and communion, which we're going to initiate very soon. But the people that do know their God, this is the end of the verse in Daniel 11:32. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Don't you ever think that a saint is some mealy-mouthed, weak individual going around? I mean, they may have been undernourished, some of them were. But they were strong, intrepid people. And God's design for his family, for his church, is not for some to be strong. It's for all to be strong. And the weaker amongst us are to be strengthened by those of us who are stronger. And we're supposed to help one another and encourage one another. The time has come. I know from speaking to you individually, but I know beyond the walls of this church from speaking to many, many people I speak to in the course of a week, how stressed people are. Now, I don't need you to raise your hand because I already know. But I do want you to know this. You're not the only one. And 90% of my life, you know nothing about. We're all stressed. But who's going to ring the bell? I can't take anymore. I didn't sign on for this. Oh, yes, you did. Because Jesus, when he said, follow me, he said this as well. Take up your cross and follow me. And we'll get there on Good Friday. But you just take a good look at Roman crucifixion and try to picture what he's conveying to the people of Rome. I mean, the original disciples. And then to us as well. I die daily. The church I mentioned to you has been corrupted from the beginning. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17 For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. The church was corrupted from the beginning. It's just that it's gotten worse. Revelation 19.2, for true and righteous are his judgments, meaning God, for he hath judged the great whore. It's a word we don't use much anymore. And we're actually using male and female less and less, no less that she's a whore. What do we say about men? Because men usually get off with a free ticket on that one. But you can make up something, I guess. But this is speaking about the church. The church becoming a whore. Which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. I told you this before, but be reminded that the greatest persecutor of the prophets was the Jewish people. Well, mainly the leaders. And the greatest persecutor of Christian, quote, saints and people was the church. That's not changed much not change much. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 12. But these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of the things that they understand not. This is about false teachers inside the church and this is the first century. Shall utterly perish in their own corruption while they promise them liberty. Right? These are those rah-rah messages and they're promising this is for preachers. Promising the people liberty but the book says While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, the same is brought in bondage. And so we're called to be saints. 
And the subtitle of this message, under the general title of Call to Be Saints, is Without Corruption. I've read, I've read a lot over my lifetime, but I've never read anybody who says Christians are always perfect. We know that by experience. But if you read a bit, you'll see the greatest Christian leaders, theologians, and so on, preachers and teachers, were flawed people, as we all are. So we're not talking about perfection of behavior, thought, word, and deed, but perfection of the heart. The desire to be perfect before God. We always miss, but let's not miss by a country mile, maybe an inch off the mark or six inches on the occasion. It happens to all of us. But then that can't be an excuse to say, oh, I... No, we're called to serve God with a perfect heart. And we're called to be saints. Let me read you the verses I've been reading to you from Romans chapter 1 and verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. I want to add in the word without corruption. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. That's you, and that's me. We read that when Christ comes for his church, he's coming for a church without spot or wrinkle, and that belongs to Christ. Because we have certainly sullied our garments. I told you about my adventures with spaghetti. It doesn't matter. Somehow, it finds my shirt. Yes, I could take off my shirt, but I don't want to. Now it's a contest. For those of you of Italian extraction, I wear a mappine. And it's a big one. Now I got a big one. Yet that will find its way to my shirt somewhere, one little spot. And we've sullied our garments before the Lord in big ways. But that's not what God is looking at. God's looking at our response to come before him and humble ourselves before him and cry for mercy, which he's willing to give. Cry for grace and not to make excuses for our bad behavior. Not to make excuses that we didn't show up for duty when we were supposed to be there. Now, again, those of you that are in the military, maybe this has happened to you. I know a few people that it has happened to. They were not at their station when they were supposed to be. And if you know anything about the military, if you haven't served, that is a serious offense. And I wondered to myself, how does God feel about people who, we would say generally are good people, who profess that they're Christians that are not at their stations? When God is saying, I need you here, and I need you there, and I need you here, and I need you there. And then all you hear is the reasons why. And God is saying, no, 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 no. You were supposed to love me first. All that you have. And I want to just say something very quickly. If you think being in the ministry is easy, try it. I had somebody come in my office years ago. Oh, well, you're supposed to be here. You're on duty. You're on your job. My job is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I've been doing it for a long, long time. And the greatest temptation I told you that I face, the greatest temptation, is retirement. Because I could do it with honor, but not inside me. Not in this hour of history. So I don't. In any case, I know where I'm supposed to be, minus a vacation or some other thing that comes up, that I can't be here at this post. Regardless of who shows up, regardless of who does not show up, I must be here at my post because that's what God requires from me. What does he require from you? I suggest you go before God today and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Because the country needs you, the world needs you, your family needs you. And you say, oh, no, my family doesn't serve the Lord. But you must. And others don't do this and don't do that. But you must. And that's the cross. There it is right there. That's the cross. While others professing Christians in some other fellowship or this fellowship. And they're not doing what they're supposed to do. And you're tempted to say, well, he doesn't do it. What he's doing or not doing doesn't matter to what you're doing or not doing. It's only what you make up your mind to do. 
I suggest you make up your mind to serve Christ. By the way, you'll never regret it because you're going to have all the benefits of serving Christ, as we've seen here. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. And that's all on Christ. Husbands, love your wives. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify, talking of the church, sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. That's all on Christ. That's what he's done. That's what he's doing. The blood, as I share with you, in the words of Andre Crouch, will never lose its power. Never. So we sit here, and I stand here before you, spotless. Not by my righteousness. Not by the deeds that I have done. The good ones. Bad ones, I already know. I stand here by the righteousness of Christ, who became a man like me and was all points tempted like as I am, yet without sin. I stand here by his righteousness. And I will always direct your minds to eternity. As I had this conversation, this is past week. A couple of years from now, we're talking about a situation going on in somebody's life. I said, let's forward it 100 years. You're in eternity. What does this matter now? He comes back to this situation over here. He says, I want to go forward 50 years, 60 years. You're not here. You're in eternity. Where are you? And if you can forward your mental clock and calendar. Well, I say 100 years. It's going to be a lot shorter than that. If you can forward your clock then your priorities will be straight if you're thinking of eternity. And you'll still serve. And this is the irony, I guess, uh, maybe the odd paradox. You'll never have been of more use to your country than when you put God first. It's just that irony. As you can see, I've got America on my mind. I love this country as much as anyone loves this country. But I do believe that only God can save us. Which is not to just shut the doors, draw the blinds, and hide away. That's what cowards do. That's what cowards do. They draw the blinds. Everything is neat. This is what I'm trying to say. That's not a saint. Yeah, that's part of it. I have my hours and hours of meditation, of prayer, of solitude, of being alone. Only so I can step out and get in the fight. Stay in the fight. And this is a fight. And what is it for? What's going to happen in 10, 20 years? Not necessarily as much where it's going to be in 100 years. That's what the Christian saint is called to do. As a good soldier... The analogy the Apostle Paul used. Do your duty. Paraphrase. Do your duty as a good soldier. Don't draw the blinds and hide in the dark. Not only do cowards do that. So do spiders. Creatures of the night. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit. There is being given to you in this hour a holy boldness. Not an arrogance. Because I've shared that with you before. There's a difference between being arrogant and being bold. There's a difference between being able to see what's coming down and warning the people to get out of the way. Any of us would do that on any given day. You see something falling, going to hit the person directly? Get out of the way! And so I have to say, there are some who just don't see this clear enough. The words of Jesus about eternity. So that we are able to invite people and at the same time warn them. And all of it out of our hands because this is not a book that we wrote, a man wrote. I mean, a church man God wrote it through his select individuals. Let's talk about what is a saint. I made this into a little acronym for you. Number one, yes, you're saved. Saved. For when we were yet without strength. This is Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, on the prophetic calendar, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can you remember those days? I mean, when you were just outright living an ungodly life. I remember them in my own life. And then he says in verse 9, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. This is what a saint is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols. Which, by the way, when you read the Bible, think of what you're reading about. This was not an easy thing for a community of people who made their living selling idols. They weren't just giving up an idol. They were giving up their livelihood. Are you ready to do that? If it gets down to it that you have to leave your job and don't know where money's going to come from to pay your rent and your mortgage and your food... Well, that's what these people did, the Thessalonian church. Turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. As it was in the days of Noah, Jesus now, he says, I delivered you from the wrath to come. There is an ark, in other words, and it's standing right behind me. It's right there. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Those are the words, um, not precise words, of Stonewall Jackson. Wounded by his own men, arm removed. Was actually doing pretty well until he caught pneumonia. And as he was fading, his last words were that. Let us cross the river and rest under the shade of the trees. I think of that sometimes. Do you ever? I think about the labors that we're involved in now. I think about the cost of living daily and all that. Then I think about, but the day is coming when it'll be over. Individually, corporately. And I think about that. I told you I have this vision. I don't know why. I have this vision. It's the day that I've died. And I'm walking down this long, lone country road. I don't know why this comes to me all the time. And the birds are singing. The sun is shining. And I don't know even why I'm all alone. But there's this great sense of peace. This great sense of I've done my duty. I've done what I was called to do. Now, I'm not there yet, right? I've got a ways to go yet, I assume. But I want that. I've done my duty. I did what I was called to do. And what I'm called to do is right here. But do you know how much work it takes to get here? It takes more than just putting on a shirt and tie and saying, God, give me something in my head. All week long, I'm reading and studying and praying and contemplating and meditating. That's what it takes to get here, to be fully prepared and other things. You're saved from the wrath to come. And it's not coming from your local congressman or your senator or the president of the United States, whoever he or she is. It's coming from Christ Jesus himself. Amen. You're saved. Number two, you're anointed. I know that preachers use this term in the sometimes offhanded way or they would look, I'm anointed, and you get the impression that you're not. But in 1 John chapter 2, verse 25, and this is the promise that he hath promised us even eternal life. Verse 26. 1 John 2, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Corruption from the very beginning. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. S 
and A, saved and anointed, every one of you, and Christians all over the world, anointed, not in the same capacity to do the works that you are called in your ministry, as this is my ministry, this is my calling in life, but we're anointed all the same with that spirit of God we sang to and about earlier, it tells us, you know that you know that you know that you know that you're saved. I want to repeat this conversation I had a couple of years back now with a man who's now passed on and we're talking about religion. He used to like to try to get my goat by saying, well, whoever he or she is. But I would absorb that for the greater goal of planting the seeds and telling him the truth. What has he done with that truth now that he's passed on? I don't know. But I did my job. My hands are clean. Because he told me one day, you can't know God. I said, I do. He said, you can't. See, because he's a very intelligent person. And we were actually friends. Right to the end, friends. You can't. I said, I do. He said, you can't. I said, I do. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And so on. That's when he said to me, you're a very lucky man. I said, luck has nothing to do with it. He's called Christ. And the anointing is the power of the Holy Spirit that communicates to you, and especially when you're in the valley, and aren't we all these days, that says when everything's going wrong, by the way you see it. And Romans 8.28 says, and we know that all things, this is a man's going to die for his faith, this is a man is heavily persecuted, and saying, and we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. When you're in that valley and can't think of anything else, forward your calendar, 10 years, 20, 30, whatever it is, 100, and say to yourself, I'm saved. I'm anointed. Number three, I'm initiated. This means to, well, you know what initiation means, but it's to introduce somebody to new knowledge or membership. And the contact between you and God was not initiated by you. Someplace, sometime in your life, even after you went to church, and remember we don't go to church, we are the church. We are the church wherever we go. Somehow, in God's unique way, he touched you. And he initiated contact that you might know him. You have to know the Bible, sure. But that you might know him. And when you know him, then you know that you know that you know that you know because this is coming from God who initiated that contact. You're saved, anointed, and initiated into the family of God. Number four, you're a new creation. I want you to know before I read this verse, I support Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, 12-step programs, and so on. I really do. I think they're good, but it's not Christ. Christ is Christ, and he's not a 12-step program. You can say it one way or the other. It's either a one-step program, or it's a many, many many-step program, which is my preference. He initiates the contact, come follow me, and then we're going along here for quite some time. And you are not just a reformed alcoholic. Whatever you prefer to do as far as saying, well, I'm an alcoholic. Later, your last drink was 50 years ago. Well, that's up to you. And I still have 12 steps in my wallet. I've had it for many, many years. But I'm not a reformed alcoholic. I'm not a former, a lot of things. I'm saved. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Let's read it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature, which means a whole new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 15. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, 
but unto him which died for them and rose again. Verse 16, 2 Corinthians 5. Wherefore hence know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And that word means creation. It's not just the 12 steps, which is good. I told you, I endorse it. But this is something far greater. Far greater. He has made you something unique that was never done before Christ came. Unless you want to look at Genesis and say, well, it's similar. And it is similar, but we had a second Adam. He didn't come out of the dust. He came from heaven. And we are now new creations. All things are become new. Saved and anointed and initiated. And we are now new creatures. S-A-I-N. But it's the T. Tested. Tested. How do you know anything you buy? Anything. Well, just about anything. It'll come with a tag. But it's been tested. And this is a type of guarantee. It's no guarantee. But it's a type of guarantee that this thing has been tried. Somebody built it and somebody tested it. And hopefully, if any of you parachute, the tag can be trusted because you're only going to get one shot at it if it's not. Whoever packed that parachute, whoever made the materials, tested it. And you will be tested. And that's exactly what's happening now. We are moving into a time of more testing and more testing. But those of us, you, who know Christ shall be strong and do exploits as we read. Revelation 3.17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, this later to see it. And have need of nothing, and knowest not thou that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Their opinion was, we're rich. We don't need anything. Jesus said, you don't know that you're so miserable and wretched and blind and you're naked. But he says this, Revelation 3.18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried, tested, in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thy eyes with eyes salve, that thou mayest see. Now here's the thing that I want you to hear. Saints are tested. All Christians are tested. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now, without elaborating on this, since we're out of time, the true child of God, as I once did, you scratch your head and say, look, I'm living by the book. Why is this happening to me? And there it is. Because there's a tag on you somewhere. And the tag says, been tested and tried by God. Been tested and tried by the maker. Now we fail some tests. And I've failed some tests, that's for sure. But my new prayer before, and it's not new, but I mean my prayer before God now is that I don't want to fail a test. I want to pass it. I want to pass your tests, O Lord. And God says, fine. And here they come. And then you have to say, all right, do I really want to do this? And then you say to the Lord, well, where else can I go? And God is very clever. It's like parenting. Imagine if God told you what you were going to go through when you had children, after you had children. Some of you say, oh, I'd still do it. Okay. But all of us who are grandparents know it's much easier. You say, oh, it's okay. Let him eat that. But your kid couldn't eat that. It's okay. And then it's time for you to go. Which you cannot do with your own children. Well, I say you can't do it. Shouldn't do it. They're yours. God is wise. He doesn't tell us everything that we want to know. But he tells us everything we need to know. He tests his own. Lastly, you're sanctified. We are in this world. We are not of it. 
Be careful that you don't circle the drain with everybody else. Be careful that you don't get caught up so that it steals your joy and steals your vision of Christ. Don't put anything before God. Don't put anything before Christ. Let me read this and I finish. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified. Called to be saints. We read it earlier. With all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Chapter 6, now verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. 1 Corinthians 6.10 Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11 of chapter 6, 1 Corinthians And such were, were, that's past tense, were some of you, but you are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And just so you know that the word sanctified comes from the word hagias, where we get saint. They're directly related. The saint, it's you. We walk a different path. And that's how God designed us to be when we're saved, when we're Christians, when we're born again, or whatever other names that we use. This is what he's called you to be, a saint. We pray this morning, let's remember not only to love God, which I always found easier than the one that says, and love your neighbor. Not the guy that lives next door to me as much as you, but it includes the guy that lives next door to me too. And pray. I always find that much more difficult. I find people are difficult, but we are the ones called to be saints. Let's pray. And Father, we come before you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. And as it entered my mind over 30 years ago, the call the radio ministry, the time for truth, now this church is called the time for truth. Truth is not relative, but it certainly is relevant. Oh God, one more time this morning, pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Not only upon the time for truth, but upon your church everywhere it's found around the world. Oh God, that you pour out your Spirit that we may know you. And our lives would reflect that. Show us, God, what your scriptures say. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. To hate it. God teaches there's so much we need to learn. But I pray that everyone who's listening to this message or has listened to this message, everybody that's here today, there'd be nothing found wanting in their life for you. They're living for you and would be willing and you will make all of us able pay the price of what it means to be a Christian. We bless you. We praise you. By faith, we say the spirit of refreshing is coming on us. Not only until we finally say amen here in just a second, all afternoon today. I actually pray, God, let us hear some good news. I mean, beyond the Bible, but some good news. Who got saved? Something pleasant. As we live in these vexing times, put the shine, once again, I pray that, on all of us, that we may be strong, the people that do know their God, do the exploits you've called us to do. So today, Lord, we remind ourselves of the two great commandments upon which the entire Bible hangs. Love to you, love to one another. By this, all men will know we're your disciples. I once again pray that this day there will be a spirit of refreshing poured out upon your people. In any way that you desire and design to do it, a spirit of refreshing poured upon your people that we may just have a breather before we go back into the battle. 
And Father, once again, we give you all of the praise, all of the glory, and all of the honor in Jesus' mighty name. Can you say amen with me? Amen. 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 Amen.